Congratulations, you've made it to the end of the year, which means you finally have gotten through me and Brian talking about movies. Now it is time for me and Brian to rank the said movies from worst to best. But we're only going to do top tens for each because that would take all day. So before we dig into our top, top 50, yeah, top 50, before we dig into our top 10 best and worst films we saw this year, we figured we'd do some side reviews to start off this portion of the podcast. So we're going to be talking about some music we listen to, some TV shows and some games. And so uh, I'm going to let Brian talk about some albums first that uh, he listened to this year and kind of give his thoughts on them. Um, not all of them are going to be full reviews. He informed me some of them. He just may talk about what he thought of them without like the main Igor one that he's going to talk about. But yeah. uh, anyways, Brian, take it away. Talk about some of the music you listen to this year all right the first thing i'm going to talk about is igor because i have a whole full thing typed up for this and i i just got to get through it all right so basically this album uh it, for the most part is it's a really good album it's uh the first song uh really gets you into this whole like kind of lighter vibe well not lighter but heavier vibe i mean uh it starts off with this like droning bass or synth bass uh noise uh and it jumps into this little repeating track that or repeating line that just keeps letting you know like this 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 album is gonna make you feel a little bit different there chief uh after that you get earthquake which is the single track that everyone knows i think this is the one the the first track from the album that everyone heard uh because it was a single after uh that so that one's probably not my favorite, but it's still a really good one. Uh, the music video really t- does uh, help get like the whole point of the song across, I think. It has a feature from Playboy Cardi, I believe, which it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a good feature because you can't understand him at all. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's not a knock at his like rapping or anything. It's like even Tyler the Creator says he couldn't understand him. Um, after that, we have the song, I Think, which is my favorite song on the album, I believe. Uh, it has this backing beat that's kind of upbeat and sounds just kind of like slapping on drums a little bit. And the repeating lines of four skate, which I, I don't know what that's supposed to represent. But I, th- I think it comes back later in the album. Um, this is kind of the one that really hits home the breakup theme of the album. Uh, to me, it's not the greatest, uh, way to hit it home, I guess, because, or no, I mean, it is a pretty good way to hit it home because it has, uh, Solange in it and her feature's pretty good. And I think she's supposed to be like the female counterpart to him. Uh, the next one is exactly what the next track is exactly what you run from. You end up chasing which is just like Tyler, the creator, got this comedian that he knows to just read off a line, and that's it. He comes back a few times in the album. Uh, I, I'm not going to keep naming off all the tracks because that'll just get tiring. But after that, it's not too memorable to me, the album. There's a feature from Kanye on the track Puppet, which his feature's fine. It's not great. This was like pre-Jesus is King Kanye, so... Um, I guess it's good enough, Kanye. Uh, it's it's a fine enough feature if you pay atten- attention to it. There's a feature from CeeLo Green on the song Gone Gone slash Thank You. It, it's fine. Like he, uh, I don't think CeeLo Green's been relevant really since the song. Uh, I think it's the thing in the song is like Forget You or yeah. something. Everyone knows that one. 
And then the last song is kind of just all right. It's not great. Uh, I, I think I gave the album an 8 out of 10, uh, which that's really what I'm going to stick to. Uh, next one I'm going to talk about is the Billie Eilish album. I don't have a okay. full-out review type for this one, but I like this album. You constantly diss on Billie Eilish because you think she's just edgy music edgy for music, edgy yeah. teens. <laughs> Which, I get it, she's not great uh, for everyone. Um, she's kind of got this niche of fans that everyone is like, okay, that niche of people is kind of annoying. But if you listen to her music, it's pretty good. It's got uh, good beats and stuff for the most part. She Her, her lyrics are pretty memorable if you can uh, listen to them. It, it, the, some of her songs get kind of deep. I, I like a few of the songs from the new uh, from her new album this year. I think uh, Bad Guy is the one everyone knows. Yeah. That's the one most people probably hate, too, because it's so overplayed. There's, like... Uh, is All the Grid Girls Go to Hell yes. on that one? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the ones I kind of like. That's not a big favorite of mine. There's, th- there's the one that has the feature... F- or that has that um, sample from The Office. I can't remember the name of the song. Uh... But oh, strange Addict, my strange addiction is what's called. That's kind of the song that I like, and I don't know why. Next, I'll talk about Jesus is King. Oh yeah, uh, Billy Eilish's album is also an eight out of ten to me. Okay, I think the name of this song is like "When We All Fall Asleep." Where, where do we go? Yeah. Then there's Jesus is King by Ye, which Hayden, you like this album, don't you? I think it's an okay album. Like Kanye gets a lot of hate nowadays because he has completely shifted his character, and I can understand that because Kanye West going from the guy that was like "I am God" to now "Oh no, I believe in God" is a little uh, hand-fisted to me because I don't believe in you know Kanye West just like fully going from believing he was God, saying how he wanted to do Kim Kardashian every single day, twenty-four-seven, to now being a holy man. I'm like, I just I don't really buy that at all. But at the same time, I think this album gets a lot more hate, but at the same time, it's not a great album. Like, I hate the people that stand Kanye West that are like, oh no, Kanye makes nothing but great music, because no, not every album's a hit. There's like a few on here that I thought were good, but the one that I cannot stand that everybody seems to like for some reason is Closed on Sunday. I don't understand it. So People actually like that song? Yeah, so dig into your review. Okay, so I've only listened to the album all the way through once. And that's all I can bear to listen to it to. It's only like a 30-minute album, but I just don't like it. I don't like... Like, I'm, I'm fine with uh, Christian-themed music. I like gospel music, so nobody can use that against me. Uh, it's just that this album and the message behind it feels so ham-fisted and on the nose because Kanye's just trying to get into this good view. Because if you don't know Kanye's been like getting really political lately for some reason and I don't get it and I think he's just trying to appeal to this certain audience of people that are like going to fall for his fake like stuff that he's going for his fake uh publicity stunt basically so I don't fall for it and I don't like the album it's not good there's like a feature from this church choir I think on the first two tracks that's uh, and yeah, Close on Sunday is a trash song. Uh, I think I gave it like a 4 out of 10. Okay. And I'm probably going to stick to that. I think that's what Anthony Fantano gave it to. Okay. So, no more albums? Uh, I guess there was that Rocket Man album that came out earlier this year for the. The cover the, album, basically. The, yeah, basically yeah. a cover album. I thought that album was fine. They took their own twists on all of his songs and made them their own. And there was Elton John at the end. Yeah. I'm not going to give that one a rating, though, since it's a, basically just a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. 
Alright, so with Brian's done with music, I'll move into video games now because some people want to hear about some games I've played. So, I've played half of some games, I've played fully through some games, so the games I've fully played from start to finish are the ones I'm reviewing because there's some that I've just kind of left in a state of limbo. So here are the games I've completed. So first off, The Walking Dead The Final Season, the Telltale game. So, I get it, this came out in January and technically the game came out in 2018, but Telltale closed down as a lot of people know. They've been yeah. brought back but kind of under different terms. I think now it's like Skybound Games owns The Walking Dead, and I think Warner Brothers Games now owns Batman and The Wolf Among Us, so Telltale is dead, people. They're not coming back, but uh, their games will live on. But anyways, The Walking Dead, the final season, this was a lot better than The Walking Dead and New Frontier. New Frontier is just so bad. Like, I don't understand. This was the one thing I never got about it was it was supposed to be Clementine's story, and then we just learn about this guy named Javier in The Walking Dead and New Frontier, and he has nothing to do in this new game. We just go straight back to an older Clementine and AJ, and I think it was a great game, honestly. Like, the art direction especially is very beautiful. Like, if you play the first Walking Dead and then this one, you're going to see major graphical upgrade, which always amazes me. But at the end of the day, I only have one thing to say about this game i liked it but i was also let down because this is the one thing that telltale has not been good at since tales from the borderlands is creating a good and satisfying conclusion because like yeah some of their conclusions are either okay or bad and this one i was just like all right that's a fine finish i guess but i wasn't satisfied gameplay is about the same point click interaction dialogue and stuff the characters this season were a lot better than a new frontier some of them were better than the walking dead season two in some regard but for the most part if you played a telltale game all i can say is it's more of the same just better graphics stories kind of about the same the ending is just okay at the end of the day i think i give this game like a b just a solid b all right, all right, so now I'm going to move on to Trover Saves the Universe, the new Justin Roiland game. Uh, I played this in VR, and it is amazing to play in VR, and I love the way that Justin Roiland just cracks jokes that I'm pretty sure people would be like, oh, that's annoying, I don't get why people like this Rick and Morty guy, but at the end of the day, I think that he is a funny guy, it's just Rick and Morty has put him on this pedestal of where people go, oh, he created this toxic show now, and I'm like, that's not fair. Trover Saves the Universe is simply about this, I don't even know what the alien race was, but his name is Trover. He has eye babies in his eyes that you can collect around the game, and he's trying to get this Glorbnop guy that stole his two dogs, and that's the game. And in VR, it's a lot of hijinks. It's basically the whole game is him rambling, you interacting, fighting these different villains and stuff, him rambling again, making some edgy jokes, and then at the end of the game, it's how you'd expect it to end, kind of like Rick and Morty does with like an edgy last minute and all yeah. of that. But for the most part, uh, I rather enjoyed this. I hear there are expansions coming out for it, which I'm looking forward to play. Highly recommend you play it in VR because I tried playing it without VR and it just doesn't have the same effect because like when you turn around you're like oh that's not as cool that you're not like immersed in the world because it just yeah. feels like every other video game. What I like about the VR is they poke more fun at you in VR like they'll follow you around as you rotate your head which is kind of cool. They'll even like shut off your mask sometimes and make you freak out like they do a lot of fun stuff with VR that I was like okay you have to experience in VR. I'm gonna give it a B plus. I really really enjoyed it. Alright. So Days Gone, the new PS4 exclusive, the one that bombed this year. Why are zombie games still being made? I don't understand it. So, Days Gone was a brand new zombie survival game that has no campaign. That was what sucked. I thought it was going to be about this biker guy that helped out his gang. There's no story after the, like, the first act. There is nothing. Like, then it's just open world, you expand and do side quests. 
The gameplay is awful, I will say. There are a ton of glitches throughout the game that they have not fixed. I have fallen through the map several times. Zombies will pop up after I have shot them several times. A lot of the game forgets to save your progress and some of your same uh, save files can be corrupted. The art direction isn't really anything special. A lot of it does not render, which is what bothers me. So like, if I'm driving into a new land, the trees have not completely rendered yet and my character stops and does a stutter. The game, like, the game itself, like, the dialogue and characters are nothing memorable. It reminds me a lot of uh, a Far Cry game, which I'll get into later, that just really had nothing in it that made me want to go back and replay it, because I have sold this game. I only got through the first act, and I immediately sold it, because I was like, this was not worth my money, this was not worth my time, this was a bad move my PlayStation to delay this game for four years, and then release it with this as the end product. Gets a D-, minus. just not a very good game. Borderlands 3! So, I, I kind of have mixed opinions on it. I'm just going to say that. I have one friend that really likes it, I have another friend that doesn't really like it, and then I got a friend that thinks it's okay. And Brian can probably think which one likes it, I mean, off the top of your head. And then I'm kind of mixed on it because here's the thing. More of the same Borderlands gameplay combat, you're grinding to get weapons, and you're just interacting doing side quests in the main story. What sucks about it is there's no Handsome Jack anymore as the villain. Handsome Jack is just a great villain. It's now these uh, twin brother and sister that are internet celebrities, basically. Like, they do a bunch of internet pranks and stuff like that, and that's their whole uh, gig. And that's kind of funny. Like, that's a nice take for Borderlands, but they're not Handsome Jack memorable to where I was like, yeah, because, like, I don't even remember the names of the villains. It's that bad. Yeah. But at the same time, it's more of the same Borderlands. What just ticks me off about it is... They kill off characters that are kind of unnecessary. Like, I get it. Each game has, like, killed off a character that has been established there for a while. But then, like, some characters that were established in Borderland 2 immediately get killed in 3. And then some all the way from 1 finally get killed off at the ending, but they don't need to. In fact, the entire ending where, like, two characters get killed off, it didn't really have to happen. It felt like they were going for a shock ending, which is what bothered me a lot. And I'm not going to spoil what happens because I think people should play Borderlands 3. Some people stopped after Maya died and... Yeah, I can understand that I didn't like Maya dying either. None of my friends like Maya dying. They said that was a stupid choice. But at the end of the day, it's more of the same Borderlands. You're grinding to get weapons. You're doing side quests. You're armoring yourself up. You can play as all of the different characters in the game. The ending itself with the whole Phoenix thing going into the sun, it was just like, I don't know. I didn't really like it. But Borderlands was still one of the better games I played this year. I'll give it a B plus. All right. And so the next game I'm going to move on to is Kingdom Hearts 3. Don't really have a lot to say about this. This is that anime Disney crossover game. It's like, yeah. it's fun. You interact in Disney movies, but the story is very lackluster and boring. Uh, here's the thing that I'll say about Kingdom Hearts. is I've never played the games, but a lot of people who are fans of them are, uh, they basically say that you'd want to play the games like from the very first oh, yeah. one to the latest one because you'll be confused if you just jump in at the latest one. <laughs> it's very confusing playing the first two also because like the story is so jumbled to like that was the main complaint everybody had was there's really not like a cohesive story and i'll agree with that because like you interact with the disney characters you play around in the disney movie and then these anime guys will show up and it brings in some weird time travel just a lot of unnecessary yeah. stuff that i was like what is going on here i enjoyed it for the most part i mean it's fun if you want to play in like toy story land or hercules land or the magic kingdom like it, it's fun in that regard but the story is just what bogs it down i'm gonna give it a c plus all right so cod modern warfare it's Call of Duty. I mean, yeah. it's better than the last few that have come out. Like, the campaign was a lot more enjoyable. Um, 
Going Dark, I think that's the name of the mission where you burst through the house and are killing like uh, civilians that are turned with the terrorist organization is really, really done. Like that's one of the best done COD campaign missions. And it's really dark. It has a dark take on like what's going on overseas because there's a mission where you like play as a little kid in like Afghanistan or something and they're getting uh, chemical bombed by the Russians. Civilians are getting killed. His dad gets killed. It is just, it's a brutal, brutal mission. Uh, what sucks about the campaign though is it has a villain you don't remember by the end of it. Uh, it has characters for the most part that I somewhat remember like Captain Price obviously he's the main staple of the Modern Warfare franchise and the new guy that takes him on does a pretty good job he doesn't have the gruffness of the old voice actor Ben Kingsley or whatever his name was but I thought for the most part that he was alright um, I guess the multiplayer I mixed on because it's more of the same Call of Duty multiplayer. They added in a new mode called Ground War. Ground War is basically Battlefield, and a lot of people don't like that. It doesn't have destructive environments, and sometimes it lags, and you'll get thrown out of a lobby for no reason. But it's more or less the same COD multiplayer, just with a new Battlefield effect. Special Ops is about the same. It's a Call of Duty game. I can't really say much more about it. B minus. It's just, it's COD. Yeah. Um, That's about expected. <laughs> yeah. The Outer Worlds. Bethesda. Some company made a better Bethesda game than you. That's sad. Like, Bethesda has really been lacking these past few years. I don't know what's going on. Fallout 4 wasn't good. Fallout 76 wasn't good. The new uh, Wolfenstein expansion game wasn't really that great. There has been a lot of games they've been putting out that have been pure trash, which is why it scares me that The Elder Scrolls is coming out in a few years, six. And I'm not looking forward to it, because Bethesda has been pretty bad in these past few regards. But The Outer Worlds was made by a separate company that was trying to basically make a Bethesda game. And they perfected it. Like, it is so much fun to interact in this little, like, space adventure world. It kind of reminds you of Star Wars, Star Trek in that regard, where you get to explore, do missions. And it's just a lot of fun. Like, it's everything that you wanted the game to be from, like, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, but you just never got that because Bethesda made bad, glitchy games. I haven't experienced any glitches. The story itself is very easy to follow. The characters and open world are fun to come back in and explore. You can play this game on, like, different types of characters and stuff, which I really enjoy. It's not like Fallout where you create a character, you get all the armor, and that's like, well, there's no reason to come back because there aren't different types of characters. Yeah. And so, at the end of the day, The Outer Worlds is one of my favorite games I've played this year. Highly recommend people play it. A minus. And I guess now I'll kind of rush by Fallen Order because uh, if you like Star Wars, you'll like it. And it's basically, if you've played the Force Unleashed games, it's the Force Unleashed combat with a little bit of Dark Souls intertwined there and the story of, like, Knights of the Old Republic. Really great game. Going to give it an A- minus as well. And Pokemon Sword and Shield, this is the one I want to talk about because... It's a mixed bag from it's, a lot of people right now. It's kind of been the most controversial game of the year. I'll say this. I like Pokemon. Not a huge fan, but I do like Pokemon. I think the games are a lot of fun. But my biggest issue is that I don't personally really care about, like, you know, the things that the teams try to do, the new Pokemon they come up with and stuff. Because, while there were some new Pokemon this uh, generation that I liked, like, I was a Sobel guy until he grew up to basically, and his evolution is awful, which I'll get into in a minute. But, like, I started off as a Sobel guy, I went around, I caught some of the new Pokemon and all that, caught some of the old Pokemon. And the gym battles themselves are probably the most interesting part of the game, that's the most colorful part of the game, in my opinion, because uh, they introduced Dynamax, which you can now grow your Pokemon bigger and okay. their attacks are doubled. And that was interesting, and that's what made the gym battles fun for me. Uh, there are also Dynamax raids where if you go to like this little uh, hole in like uh, the middle of nowhere, it's going to have a light beaming out of it. You go to it, you can either play with other players or just preset uh, characters themselves and take it down and capture the Dynamax Pokemon. But the open world itself is very bland and lackluster. It's just like trees and big open areas and tall grass. 
it, none of them are really unique, which is what kind of sucks. It isn't until you go into, like, the new worlds and stuff is where it gets unique, because, like, just the grasslands or the big open areas where you're supposed to catch Pokemon are all the same throughout the game. When you go into the new areas, like, the most colorful one is when you go into the forest with all the glowing mushrooms and stuff. That one just looks beautiful itself. Yeah. But, like, when you just go into the big open world where you have to go from different continent to different continent, it's bland. It's very boring looking, and that's one of my big complaints is that it feels like I kind of bought a game that didn't really have a lot of thought put into it. Gameplay-wise, like, combat-wise, it's also nothing special. Like, a few of the Pokemon will make dumb turns, or they'll just, like, lunge forward and attack yeah. rather than go through an animation, which something I kind of, you know, it takes you out of the world a little bit. But the evolutions, man. Sobel has the worst evolution because he grows up to be, like, this giant chameleon thing that has, like, basically wings as, like, a cape, I think, and then he's, like, a spy-type character where he points two fingers and shoots out a water blast. Uh, Squirbunny grows up probably the best, and so does Grookey, but me picking Sobel, I was just disappointed, and some of the other evolutions I wasn't really satisfied with. Like, there's this one little rocket that you find that's, like, on a wheel, I don't remember his name, and he, uh, turns into, like, a little mini monster, and then a big monster with a bunch of coal on his back. I was like, okay, that's an interesting, like, evolution, but... At the end of the day, I was just a little let down by this game because it feels like I bought a game that I've already kind of played before because that's the thing with Pokemon which I don't get is like, you're virtually paying for the same game over and over again with new Pokemon and new worlds and stuff, but they haven't really done anything to change it up. And I'm not saying they should get rid of the formula they have because I think it's good. It's what gets suckers like me to buy their games because I want to catch the new Pokemon. But at the end of the day, I really hope they make their games more open world. They make it so you come back and want to play it again. But... I'm going to give it a C plus. I was very, very disappointed with this game. Okay. And so The Mandalorian is the TV show. We're going to get into TV shows here. Uh, Mandalorian, best Star Wars content to come out in quite some time, Disney. Uh, this is probably your best move was to make it not connected to anything overall Star Wars besides having a Baby Yoda creature. That is like the only bit of like connection to the universe they have, and that's as far as it goes. Dude. New characters. I just want to say, I just love seeing the Star Wars fan base get so broken up, whether whether they should call it Baby Yoda or call it by like the uh, name Unknown of what species. The, yeah. yeah. Um, it's so funny seeing I, them break I, up over yeah. that. Yeah, I like Baby Yoda. Interesting, but the Mandalorian himself is one of the greater characters. Doesn't talk, doesn't take his helmet off. Uh, Carl Weathers is also in the TV show. He's uh, one of the higher-ranked bounty hunter leaders and stuff like that. And this show is just a lot of fun to explore the whole Mandalorian cult and stuff like that. It's also fun to get to see Baby Yoda use his Jedi powers. There's a great episode where, or I guess in the finale, where like Baby Yoda stops fire by just like putting his hands up and he shoots it back at the stormtrooper and he falls down and takes a nap. Like they have a lot of fun with that. Uh, Gustavo Fring from Brinking Bad gets uh, introduced at the end of the season. Can't wait to see what they do with him next. He seems like he's going to be a very, very interesting villain. But here's the one thing that ticks me off about it is, for some reason, every Star Wars movie has to feature a lightsaber. I don't get this yet because a darksaber is shown at the ending. And I'm like, why are we bringing in darksabers? Why is a lightsaber even connected to the Mandalorian at all? Like, just... Leave it out. I just want this to be separate from the universe itself. But this is a good, grounded, different take on the Star Wars universe. It's great for them to explore planets, to see this Mandalorian and his quest to deliver around Baby Yoda. I think my favorite episode of the entire season is the one with Bill Burr, where the Mando and him and uh, uh, Mr. Krabs go around, and they're trying to break out this one guy, and he gets betrayed, and then he starts picking them off one by one. It's one of the best episodes, in my opinion, and... Uh, it was a great episode, honestly. The weakest episode was the one that was directed by Dave Filoni. It's the one where it's like this hotshot kid bounty hunter who acts really, really badly. And 
that was one of the weaker ones. The one Bryce Dallas Howard does too, I guess, is a little weak too. The one with the big AT-AT walker. Yeah. But for the most part, this is probably the best Star Wars media to come from Disney of this decade. Like, I haven't really liked any of the sequel films or spinoff films as much as I like The Mandalorian. Can't wait for season two. I'm going to give this show a solid 9 out of 10 so far. I've been very impressed as a Star Wars fan. All right. So the next TV show is Game of Thrones Season 8. I already did a podcast on this. You guys already know. Ruins character arcs, stupid decisions. I, I think I told you it was like got a bad grade, so I'm going to move on from that. Um, South Park, more of the same. They did a really funny episode about censorship in China and like how Americans uh, produce, you know, like Chinese content different and stuff like that. Like, we're going to be progressive. Oh, wait, China doesn't like that? All right, we got to go back and change all this. <laughs> there are also great episodes. Uh, Scout Malkinson got an episode where uh, he, he wants his dad, who's like a cable network guy, to get Disney Plus. He's like, no, we have cable TV. Cable TV is the best thing. And he has to kind of like adapt to the fact that everybody is going streaming and turning away from cable. There's a lot of great episodes this season. It's more of the same South Park, I, like yeah. eight out of ten. I I don't ever get annoyed with South Park. It's always sunny in uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia season fourteen. Not really a great season. Season thirteen was all right, but this season I did not laugh as much, which is an issue because I always viewed the show as the show that could never not be funny. Because you have Danny DeVito, you have Rob McElhenney, you have these great comedians, you've got great people working on this show. It's just my fear was that the writing was going to run out of ideas at some point. And it doesn't feel like they're out of ideas. It just feels like they don't know what to do for comedy. Because now they're going into territories that I haven't really agreed with. Because now they're bringing up political correctness, which they've done in some of the later seasons. But now it's more heavy this season, which I don't really like. They're also changing some of the characters. Like, Dennis is still as a horrible human being as he is. But it feels like he's more restrained, which I don't really like that. I laugh more at Danny DeVito. Charlie Day is okay. It just feels like he rambles on. That's his entire thing. I guess the one thing that bothers me about this season was the episodes are not memorable. That's the one thing that I've always loved about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is the episodes have to be memorable for me to go, this is a great show. But this season just had some of the worst episodes, in my opinion. Season 13 had a few bad ones, too, don't get me wrong. But this one is probably the worst season of It's Always Sunny next to the pilot and season one. But I'm going to give the season, I think, maybe just a 6 out of 10. I was really, really disappointed. I, I wanted this to be funny. All right, that all? So, yeah. I guess you don't have anything else to review, um, comment? I, can I go... Uh, can I do my short little bit about stands again? Because I know I did it on the way here. Yeah, yeah, you can talk about stands. Yeah, so I just want to say that stands are... St- <laughs> is the... Uh- like Twitter stands and stuff have just become the dumbest thing lately and I know that there's probably going to be people who agree with me here that like calling yourself a stan never was meant to be a good thing never has been a good thing and they're just bastardizing the term like the reason or Eminem didn't even come up with the term back uh, back when he did the song stan he was just picking a random name stan uh, and it, people took that name and used it in the right way as a an annoying fan who's obsessive over the celebrity and thinks that they should be, like, uh, best friends and they should know each other and stuff. Like, that was the point of stands is to be an, uh, the, the worst thing to a celebrity, basically. Twitter took it and bastardized it. And I'm not talking about just K-pop stands. I'm talking about stands in general because there's people who air quotes stan uh justin bieber or kanye west and stuff and it's it's dumb because they they've taken these celebrities and put them on a higher pedestal than they need to be and they're calling themselves 
this thing that's, that has bad connotations to people who actually understand it. And then I've seen some people who, t- uh, who don't even know that's originally from an Eminem song and just think that Twitter came up with it, which is also dumb because, like, I feel like you should at least know a little bit of what the origin of the term is from. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm just saying, if you call yourself a stan, maybe don't. <laughs> it's dumb and I hate it. All right. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so that'll do it for the off-reviews. We will now get into the top 10 best and worst movies that we saw in 2019. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So welcome to the lists for 2019. As a lot of you guys may know, these are the lists that we have been talking about all year, the top 10 best and worst movies that we saw in 2019. So a lot of you guys right off the bat are probably asking, okay, Hayden, how many uh, films have you seen this year? Well, I've seen a grand total of 97 movies this year. That is actually an upgrade from 2018. In 2018, I saw 83 films, so I have progressed. I figured I might go down, but I went up. And I gotta say, From the 97 films, not all of them are going to make these lists, obviously, because not every single one of them was, like, good enough to where I put them on the honorable mentions for good, or bad enough to where I put them on the honorable mentions for bad. So, a lot of your favorite films might not be on my list or in my honorable mentions. I assume most of the honorable mentions, though, should in line with some people, but for the most part, I'm just going to say right off the bat that my honorable mentions are going to contain Endgame and Joker, which means neither of them are going to be in my top 10, so... That's something that a couple of you guys are probably going to be a little bit upset about, but in my opinion, uh, just both those films I have so many issues with. Endgame, again, it's the uh, the character choices that they made for a few of them and some of the plot holes. And Joker, it's still the taxi driver and king of comedy thing I just can't get over. And so... Sorry if you guys expected Endgame or Joker to be in my top 10. Remember, it can be in your guys's. that's your opinion, but in mine, they just weren't good enough to reach the top 10. But I am going to go over my honorable mentions, and to make the honorable mentions, all you basically had to be was a movie that was 8 or above. There are a few 7s that did make the cut, but at the same time, I'm just going to say that don't be mad at what's in the honorable mentions and what makes my list. So, Brian, I guess now talk about uh, how many films you saw and kind of how your list works. Yeah, I thought you were going to completely no, 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 no. skip over me. Uh, <clears throat> so, I, according to Letterboxd, I've seen about 53 movies this year. That could be a little bit lower because I did, there were a few movies I think that I didn't put on there. Um, my honorable mentions is basically just going to be movies that I really remember. Uh, and this ranges from the 6 out of 10 and up because I do have a few comedies that I rated kind of low, but I still really enjoyed this year. Um, and then my list is basically just, uh, I think the lowest rating for my best uh, list is uh, an 8 out of 10, and from that up, it's just also, what do I remember, what's memorable about it, would I watch it again, and stuff like that. Okay. So, uh, basically my list is just kind of like filmmaking, what film really stuck out to me, what can I rewatch over and over again, what had great cinematography, performances, all that. Basically, I'm looking for the trifecta here when it comes to this list. So, here are my honorable mentions, here are some of the best films that I saw in 2019 but just don't crack the top 10. These are in no particular order, so don't think after me reading them off that's my ranking or anything, but, uh, anyways, the honorable mentions include Fighting With My Family, How to Train Your Dragon 3, Avengers Endgame, Detective Pikachu, John Wick 3, Spider-Man Far From Home, Mid summer once upon a time in hollywood good boys hustlers ad astra joker el camino the breaking bad film dr sleep jojo rabbit a beautiful day in the neighborhood and last but not least ford v ferrari and uncut or not ford v ferrari and zombie land double tap 
So, those are the movies that made my honorable mentions. So, Brian, why don't you go ahead and go through yours? All right, my honorable mentions... Um, the first one, I will say, is... I think Hayden already knows this. The Fanatic. And I just want to give an explanation. I, I like the movie ironically. Because it's really bad, but it's so bad it's good to me. Uh, after that, it's, it's pretty general. I have Ad Astra, Richard Jewell... A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, El Camino, Spider-Man Far From Home, Jexy, The Peanut Butter Falcon, Yesterday, Us, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, Hustlers, Good Boys, and Stuber. Okay. <clears throat> and, yeah, that's a pretty good list of the movies that I enjoyed throughout the year that aren't eight or higher, probably. Or some of them are, actually. All right, so now we're going to start off with our number ten, so I will reveal first. The tenth best movie that I saw this year was Ready or Not. So Ready or Not was a film that I was really not expecting to be as good as it was. I actually thought it was going to be a lot worse from the trailers, but after re-watching it, I really appreciate this film more on the rewatch because first off, there's a lot that's set up in the background that you don't notice the first time. Like there are some board games that specifically point out like the traits of the family members that are gonna oh, be yeah. in the movie. There's a lot with like, uh, it even sets up like where she's gonna run away in the film. It even shows off like the background and stuff. And that's really clever that they set that all up. Samara Weaving's <coughs> acting also is very, very good. She was the one performance this year that I was like, wow, that really stands out to me because like we both said, there hasn't been like a groundbreaking female performance. And so that was one of them that really hooked me, that really kept me wanting to rewatch this movie because she is so good in it. The supporting cast is also a lot of fun. The way it mixes both dark comedy and this cultish ritual is just so much fun. At the end of the day, I also thought, and this is just on the second time, that the cinematography is pretty good. Like the camera doesn't shake. It's pretty still in some areas. And I like the way that it's up close and personal. That's one of my favorite things. And another thing that I really, really enjoyed about the movie is the ending. I know a lot of people may hate the ending because they think it's super goofy, but that's kind of the icing on the cake is this movie at first looked like it was going to be bad and take itself too seriously, but once you watch it, you start to realize that's not the case. It's a very goofy cult movie, and the ending where they all explode is just hilarious to me. Overall, it's had good cinematography, good performances, was very memorable, and the mix of dark comedy and the whole slasher slash cultish thing that's going on really sealed it for me. So, your number 10. All right, my number 10... Uh, uh, some people might have expected this, but I don't think you expect it. Zombieland Double Tap. Oh, really? Uh, I gave this movie an 8 out of 10 when I uh, first saw it, and I think I'm going to hold to that. Uh, it was a really good movie for the most part to me. Uh, the return to, or not return to form, but the return of all these actors and falling back right into their places really well. Um, <clears throat> I thought that a lot of the zombie kills were funny and great. Uh, the T... 1000 or whatever yeah. the zombie was called that one i felt uh did get a little bit uh not uh, not well used in the movie uh i thought that the whole like elvis thing was just funny mm -hmm. because yeah. uh it's just a replacement for his uh bill murray thing from the last movie and the end credits scene is just a bit of an icing on the cake yeah. for this movie uh it was one of the better zombie movies that i've seen it was a I consider it the perfect sequel to the original. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of just mainly the reason it's my number 10. Okay. So my number nine best movie that I saw this year was Knives Out. So Knives Out is one of those movies that came from a director that's very controversial. And again, I had said for many, many years, I have not been a big fan of Ryan Johnson, especially after The Last Jedi. And when I saw the trailer for Knives Out, I was like, okay, I'll go see it. But this is because he hasn't really like hyped it up to be anything endgame level Oscar. He isn't trying to just pander it in any way. He just yeah. wanted to make a movie. And after seeing it, Ryan Johnson is one of those directors that I think you just have to explore more of his works to kind of see the beauty in it. Like, I'm not a big fan of Looper 
Brewster. I like Brick a lot, though, and that's one of the films I think is underrated from it that not a lot of people have seen. But this movie is very good. It is shot masterfully. It keeps you guessing in a lot of areas. Even though you do see the twist with Chris Evans coming, it is still one of those movies that you do want to keep rewatching over and over yep. again because the characters are so good. And I think that's the number one thing is like this rich family that claims they built each of their businesses from the ground up. Each are relying on the money of Harlan in the movie, and I thought that was interesting. Yep. Uh, the main girl in the movie is a phenomenal actor. The Colonel Sanders performance from Daniel Craig is probably one of the best things about the movie. Like, granted, I don't think he's going to get a Best Actor nomination because it is a little goofy and on the nose in some areas, but he still does a terrific job in this movie pulling yep. off the detective. I like Lakeith Stanfield in the supporting field, too. I liked all of the twists and inversions he did, especially when you find out that it's not realistically her fault in the movie, that he died and all that. Yep. And I thought overall it was shot really well, acted really well. I love this. I really, really just love the music that also accompanies it because it feels like you're watching a Clue movie in front of you. Yeah. I like all the stylistic choices with the camera. There is a chase scene that when you do rewatch it does feel somewhat out of place, but at the same time, it's kind of all right, I guess, for the movie. Yeah. It, it could have been a lot worse. Like They could have been shooting each other out of the cop car. Um, I especially love the third act. The yeah. whole reveal from Daniel Craig and the girl is probably one of the best parts of the movie, and in my opinion, that is the strongest part of the movie, and especially the dull knife reveal. Really love Knives Out. It's my ninth favorite film. On to yours. My number nine is Rocket Man. Okay. I uh, went into this movie expecting just another bio, uh, biopic, and I got something a little bit better than that. Uh, I enjoyed this movie better than I did Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought that the musical uh, element to it was really good. Uh, it's it's obviously not entirely true, but I like it about that because they kind of tell you that by having it be a musical the way it is. Um, I thought that the acting by Taron Edgerton was really good. Uh, I think uh, Bryce Dallas Howard plays his mom. Mm -hmm. She was uh, good enough in the role. She wasn't uh, very big uh, in the movie, except for that little part at the beginning. Um, the guy that plays Taron Edgerton, or plays Elton John's love interest slash manager, I thought he was really good. I thought that the guy that played Bernie uh, was really good. And all around, the music was really good because they took their own kind of take uh, on Elton John's songs, uh, changed them up a little bit, and uh, told his story fairly well for a, what a biopic could. Okay, so nine, my number eight, the best movie I saw this year was Queen and Slim. So this movie has grown on me a little bit, I will admit I've seen it twice now, and you know, despite the hand-fisted part with the kid in the movie, overall it is still an enjoyable ride to watch, just simply because it's not as preachy as it could have been. This was one of my, and I had already compared it to Black Klansman, even though they're both so different, was Black Klansman got preachy in the last 10 minutes with the whole Donald Trump connection and all that, and I was like, well, I don't like movies that want to draw parallels at the ending, I think that's kind of stupid, and this movie kept it relatively clean in preachiness, which is what I appreciate. Not only that, Daniel Kaluuya does a phenomenal job in the movie. I think yeah. he was terrific in it because he is very torn on wanting to see his family but knows they have to be on the run the girl in the movie too i think her name was like Joni turner smith or something like that yeah. she's also very very good in the movie i thought that her going from like the stuck up lawyer girl to just kind of chilling and mellowing out and being with basically her clyde was one of the best parts about the movie i like it when they go to visit uh bokeem woodbine and we get a little bit of character development for her and him and all that i also like the sequences where it's just them walking around or driving around and the music just accompanies them there's a great scene in the bar that kind of 
builds the character of them, she starts to come out of her whole high struck stuck up phase, and that's one of the most powerful moments in the movie, especially yeah. the ending. The ending just hits home. That's one of the most yeah. powerful moments is the entire funeral sequence and the black power movement at the ending. Like that was one of the things about the movie that really, really hit home was like that's what the movie should have just simply been. It should have showed that like these Bonnie and Clyde type kids, not everything's gonna have a happy ending yeah. and there are gonna be consequences for what they did. But at the same time, they weren't really bad guys. And that's what you discover in the film is what they did was just in self-defense. And overall, I really enjoyed this movie. Cinematography especially, I think it's really well shot. The music that accompanies it was good. I think Daniel Kaluuya could get a nomination. Even Jody Turner-Smith might get one too. Overall, this was a great cast, great direction. I like the black power movement of this movie. It didn't have to get overly preachy except for that one scene with the kid and the cops. But overall, this was a fantastic movie for me in my opinion. Alright, uh, my number eight is Uncut Gems. Okay. Uh, I I think I gave this movie an 8 out of 10 uh, when we first saw it, and I'm going to hold to that because I think uh, that's about what it deserves. Adam Sandler gives a great performance as uh, How Howie, or Howard. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> everyone else is, he, he's the main guy. Everyone else is just supporting actors. Uh, Arnie, or Arno, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I thought he was uh, good enough for what he was in the movie. Uh, it is kind of sad to see him at the end uh, the, the entire ending of the movie is yeah. kind of just a sad ending. The leading up to it is really good because it really hit uh, everything. Kind of hits home. Like you can tell, he's a, he's struggling with his gambling addiction and everything. And all around, the movie gets its point across while still having experimental elements and having an experimental soundtrack and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm going to give it my uh, eighth. And that is kind of a memorable movie. So that's why it's my number eight. Okay. My number seventh best movie is Rocket Man, actually. So, okay. uh, big Elton John guy, obviously. So, going into this, I had very high expectations. I was like, you can either make this like Bohemian Rhapsody of last year, or you can try to make a film that's going to be memorable. And this film is very memorable, but in a sense of they actually did a biopic right. Yeah. First off, I gotta point out that the transition sequences from the actual movie to the musical parts are probably some of the best parts in the movie. Yeah. Like, my favorite one is when Richard Madden and him are in the closet talking, and then they open it, and it's like in that big parlor where they're getting all makeup and stuff like that. When they're doing Honky Yeah. Cat. I also like it when he's a little kid, and he goes underneath the fence, and it comes out as him older. Like, the transitions are what Rocket Man, sh or not Rocket Man, Bohemian Rhapsody honestly should have had to, like, progress its story, because, yeah. like, it narratively flows better. And that's one thing I'm gonna give Rocket Man credit for, was at least it transitioned and felt smoother in the movie. Another thing I have to say is Taron Edgerton sings his heart out. I didn't think he could carry some of the Elton John songs, and in some areas he doesn't, but I think he does a very great job as an actor carrying the legacy of Elton John's music. Yeah. I like the supporting cast. I like that everybody sings. It isn't just the sole focus of Elton John. That's something that's nice. I love the camera work of this movie. I love the music. I love Taron's performance. I love everything about this movie in general, and overall, it satisfied me that there was a biopic made about one of my favorite singers that actually got him correct. Yeah, I I agree. Okay. <laughs> um, we're at number seven now? Yeah. Uh, my number seven is The Irishman. Okay. Uh, which I know some people probably are going to think is kind of a, a little bit lower on the rankings mm -hmm. than they would expect. But honestly, the rest of these movies on my list are a little bit more memorable. Um, the Irishman was a good movie. It felt a little long. There, there were some unnecessary scenes, but the acting was really good. Uh for the most part, the de-aging was really good. Yeah. Uh, Joe Pesci returns and is 
for what his character was was really good it's not like what you in his other movies that he's been in where he's playing this like high strung guy he's playing a really calm guy in this one and he does it really well um marty mark martin scorsese returning and making another fucking classic even though it's a three hour 30 minute movie I don't really know uh, know what else I can say about this movie. I think I gave it an eight or a nine. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, yeah. but yeah, that's that's kind of why it's my seven. It's uh, it's not quite as memorable as the uh, next uh, six movies I'm going to be talking about. Okay, so my my number six is one that you have not seen. It is the Art of Self Defense. That was a very small film that flew under the yeah. radar with Jesse Eisenberg. So I'm that's, just going to say what? that's one that you saw with Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to say this right off the bat. I have not seen this film until I think it was two days ago. I decided to rent and rewatch it. Wow. It aged surprisingly better than I thought it was going to. Because usually when I rewatch some of the ones I'm iffy on, I'm like, it's not going to stick like it does the first time. But no, the dark comedy of this movie and the take on toxic masculinity, uh, to- toxic masculinity are still as hilarious as ever. Jesse Eisenberg is back playing a wimp, which is something that really serves him. And I yep. think that's the number one thing that he's good at is playing the wimpy guy. And he starts to grow into the toxic masculine man that, you know, the girl is trying to warn him about the entire film. He starts to slowly progress up in the dojo over these other people. And... The the toxic masculine uh, dojo leader is one of the best parts about the movie. I love the reveal in the third act with the gun. I think that is one of the best payoffs of the movie because throughout the movie, they're like, only people that use guns are weak. They don't think about using their fists or hands like that. And then Jesse Eisenberg's twist with the gun at the ending is hilarious. I found that to be one of the best parts about the movie. Not only that, but it's so simple to the point of where you enjoy its premise and the work behind it because I figured it was going to get into some completely out of nowhere stuff. I figured it was going to reveal like some sort of cult thing that was going on, but no, it's just relatively that this dojo is kind of creepy. It spies on its members. They go out and do weird stuff at night because they're trying to prove how masculine they are and how they're going to take back society and all that. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. It could have gone in a lot of ways. Also, it's only filmed in like relatively three locations, which I appreciate. And I also love the progression they give to just Eisenberg because they like tell him to listen to heavy metal and at first he hates the sound of it and he starts to break out of it he punches his uh boss in the penis and then he's like uh boss and uh worker cannot be friends and he walks out of the office real quickly and it's just like enjoyable to the point of where I was overly satisfied with this movie his dachshund getting replaced by the German shepherd was also another hilarious thing about the movie just this was one of the best character developments in the movie was a guy going from a social outcast whim to a toxic masculine dojo leader by the ending of it because at first I thought he was just going to like stay the same but no he progresses a little bit he gets harder it's just he's not as bad as the dojo leader cinematography is great acting is great one of the most memorable movies I've seen in quite some time the dojo sequences especially make this movie just see them solely for that but anyways that's my sixth favorite film of this year my number six is Queen and Slim uh, you already kind of hit on what makes this movie good. It's just yeah, uh, you can go back and repeat it if it, you need to. It really uh, gets its point across with the uh, the symbolism and everything. Um, I thought that Daniel Kaluuya hit out another classic uh, move, uh, role with this one. I thought that the I think this is uh, Jodie Turner Smith. I think that's her name. I think this is like her first uh, big movie or something. Uh, which she does really well. She plays the kind of uptight lawyer who learns to kind of get, um, kind of, like, enjoy life a little bit more as she goes on. Yeah. That, that ending, man, <laughs> that, uh, ending was just, hit, hit home so hard. The thing that you were saying about the kid, uh, shooting the officer. Yeah. I, 
I, I didn't hate that scene. I actually kind of liked it because I thought that um, what it was going for, it really got it. Um, being intercut with the sex scene was kind of yeah, weird, but I, yeah. I, uh, I still think that I kind of understand what they were going for there. Um, another thing in this movie that I really liked is an appearance from my boy Flea. Uh, that's not the only reason I like this movie, obviously. The rest, uh, the main reason is because it's a really good movie and everything. Mm-hmm. But that little, that little bit with Flea, just, that was, that was a good, uh, feels for me. Uh, other than that, it's just a solid movie that really hits its Bonnie and Clyde thing home. Uh, I was hoping they wouldn't go with the Bonnie and Clyde ending, but you, you, you gotta kind of deal with what you got there, and it was a good ending for what it was. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and do your number five. Okay. So my number five is Marriage Story. So this is a movie that a lot of people have not seen, but is starting to pick up progression because now there are talks that Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson should be up for Best Actress and Best Actor. Yes, I'm 100% behind that because this movie is solely performance-driven. Two people are going through a divorce, and uh, Charlie, that's played by Adam Driver, is having a very rough time in the movie kind of coping with that because he doesn't really want to leave his wife, but his wife at the same time doesn't want to, like, take money from him. She's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I just want to separate. I I just want to have a better life for our kids. He starts to discover that if they do divorce, he may not see his kid ever again, and she doesn't want that, but at the same time, Laura Dern's lawyer is starting to manipulate her a little bit into that, and I like that the movie is about them trying to keep themselves together and happy for the kid but at the same time they hate being around each other they hate being with each other and it's one of like the best acting performance movies because there's like no musical accompaniment in the background it's just all performances that build like the tension of the scene no music has to build in to make it better it's just their performances now the best scene in the entire movie is where ScarJo and Adam are in a room screaming at each other and Adam says how he wishes she would be dead and he gets down and starts crying like it's been me to death a little bit there's like pictures now where it's like adam is screaming and pointing at scarjo and she's pointing back yeah. that scene is still so good though despite the people trying to meme it for some reason but at the end of the day if you like movies that are just solely performance based there's barely any music to accompany it and you yeah. just like the camera sitting there letting the two of them go back and forth you'll heavily enjoy this because i did laura dern is great scarjo is great adam driver is great just everybody in this movie is great they all deserve nominations in my opinion and especially adam driver because man Black Klansman wasn't his best performance, and that's the only film so far he's been uh, nominated for in his career, so really hope he comes through, maybe gets a win here. It's not my favorite of the year, obviously, but I still thought he did a fantastic job. I'm gonna get some shit for my number five, I think. It's Joker. Oh. Hey, incels, he's in here. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, So, I, I, I really did enjoy Joker. I understood what they were going for with it, the whole mental health thing. Uh, and I get why people will give me shit for it, too, because it is the incel movie of the year. And I, I do disown that part of the, of the people who like the movie, like the people who are, uh, who literally are incels and take the wrong point of the movie. I, I just disown that side and keep my own opinions on it. And I still think this is a really solid movie. And of course, I've, I've said it multiple times, I haven't seen Taxi Driver, I haven't seen King of Comedy. So maybe once I watch those, my opinions on this movie will change, because Hayden, you've told me it's pretty much like a blatant ripoff of those it's two just, movies. It's heavily King of Comedy with a Taxi Driver backdrop, basically. Yeah, because so, so I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen those, so I uh, won't get that. I thought, now that I think about it, um, in retrospective, the Zazie Beats thing is kind of obvious, um, and 
there's that whole thing where you can think either he didn't or didn't or did or did not kill her, and I think that's fine. The thing about the movie is it doesn't have to be a Joker movie. It could just literally be an homage to Martin Scorsese and not have the Joker in it at all. And that's what it should be. I don't think it should be a Batman movie. I think it should just be its own thing. Yeah, honestly, I can get back. Uh, Go on to number four, I guess. All right, so number four for me is actually The Irishman. Okay, so first off, The Irishman is one of those films that I get not a lot of people are going to like. Heck, a lot of people don't like Martin Scorsese for his Marvel comments, so a lot of people were hating on this film, saying it was really bad. (laughs) It's really not, though. I get that it is long. That's one of my biggest complaints about it and all that. You watched it three times. Yeah, I watched it three times just to get it down to, like, do I really like this or don't I? And I really loved it. I like Martin Scorsese's films. It's just as a guy, can't really get behind the statements he makes because it just feels like he's trying to draw himself a crowd. He's trying to put himself on a pedestal because granted he has made a lot of classics but at the same time don't say something like that marty because you know it's just going to draw people to hate you and you don't want your legacy later on people just being like oh he's the boomer that couldn't adapt to change and all that so marty i understand your comments is just be careful because that can affect your future in the hollywood industry even though you'll probably have so many classics people won't forget but the irishman is one of those films that right out the gate has the perfect pacing it's just a very slow grandpa-like story about robert de niro growing up into the mob and his eventual fall and realizing that throwing away his family for the mob had severe consequences. And overall, it's shot extremely well. There's not a lot of action, which I appreciate. Robert De Niro and the CGI team that made them DH actually did a pretty decent job, I'll say. Like, it's it's pretty convincing CGI. I also like the performances for the most part, especially Joe Pesci, but Al Pacino is still the standout, in my opinion. He is still the best part about the movie, playing a loudmouth Jimmy Hoffa. I still think that is one of the better parts about the movie is him coming in and playing Jimmy Hoffa. I especially love the third act. The entire setup for it is amazing, in my opinion, and the payoff is really, really good. I also like the turn that it takes where he realizes that the mob didn't mean anything to him in the end. The last shot of just the door halfway cracked open is really, it's a really nice final shot. And one of my favorite things in general about this movie is the rewatchability factor. Sure, I can skip by some areas. There are some areas I do skip by where it's just like them walking for 10 straight minutes or something like that with no dialogue. I'm like, okay, I can skip past this because I get the point they're trying to say. But at the end of the day, this is still one of my favorites. It's my fourth favorite movie movie of the year love the irishman my number four is a movie you already mentioned knives out okay uh i think i enjoyed this movie a little bit better than you did because i didn't see the twist coming and that might just be because i'm not as seasoned as watching movies uh, at watching movies as you are uh that uh, maybe it's just because i'm stupid i don't know i really did enjoy the movie i thought dana craig's performance was great i thought that um her name isn't coming to me right now, but That's the actress. Fine. Yeah, uh, I thought she, the main lead actress, I, th- I thought she was really good in her role. Um, <clears throat> Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Chris Evans, and everyone else in the movie was really good. Uh, a really good Clue movie, basically. It was just Clue. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack was really good. It, it really helped to get the uh, movie's uh, whole point across with like the Who Done It thing. Uh, I think it was the soundtrack was by his brother, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Nathan Johnson. I think uh, all around, I really enjoyed this movie. I don't really know what else I can say besides what you've already said. Okay. Um, I guess we'll move on to number three and 
I don't All know right. if you'll expect one number three or not. All right, number three for me is Uncut Gems. So I'm a big Safety Brothers guy. A lot of people probably don't know that, but Good Time I Was So Ticked Off was not nominated in, I think it was 2017. I don't think it was 2018. I don't know, I'll check later. But anyways, A Good Time was such a great movie and had a terrific performance from Robert Pattinson, but the Academy was like, ah, oh, Robert Pattinson, he's the Twilight guy. Let's probably not. But at the same time, the Safety Brothers are known in Hollywood. They're known to be a great brother pair director. So I was like, how were they not nominated? for a good time. I solely believe now with Adam Sandler that they are going to get nominations, mainly because A, they have Adam Sandler, but B, people are starting to realize the Safdie brothers are actually a great duo, just like the Coen brothers or the Russo brothers, even though yeah. the Russo brothers have their own craft with like Marvel films. But anyways, the number one thing I can say about this movie is the score, seeing this movie twice already, and the score is what sticks with me every time. Those synths, man, are just so soothing to listen to. Yeah. The color in the movie, everything just stands out so nicely, especially the scene in the nightclub where his uh, girlfriend, Ange or not Angela, Jessica, something like that? Uh, Julia. Uh, Julia, Julia, okay. Is uh, sitting, the weekend's there, and then his pink shirt is standing out, and Lakeith's orange sweatshirt, like that color grading and all that is great. Yeah. The scenes inside the gym are awesome too. I especially love this after the second time, I didn't realize this, when, uh, what's his name, Kevin Garnett is looking into the opal. He has like a vision of all of the stuff that's going on inside of it, and that's kind of what was the driving force for him needing the opal. Oh, yeah. He was like, you oh yeah, that? yeah, like I'm personally, he was like, I personally need this, man. I feel an attachment and it could be like his attachment to what it means over there the religion for them and all that and yeah. him kind of seeing through that and what it matters and that's one of the most like best parts of the movie especially kevin garnett's performance like nba star turned movie actor usually don't see that work out but kevin garnett <laughs> yeah. does a pretty good job uh adam sandler especially gives a terrific performance in my opinion because he has not given a great performance since Crunch Drunk Love. And I am going to stand by that because a lot of people could say, oh, he did good in this comedy. Well, it's an Adam Sandler Happy Madison comedy. Like, he has his own cult following of people. But uh, Adam Sandler does terrific. When he does do a serious role, he really homes at home. Plays a fast talker. Plays somebody that has to be constantly annoying and in your face. And I think that's something that he really, really does super well. The entire third act sequence with the whole betting thing going on in the casino and his reaction to winning at the ending and then the payoff of the shooting is probably yeah. one of the best things the Safety brothers could have done in my opinion because they don't like doing happy endings i think that's something they said they're like no we want to keep the audience guessing and it kept me guessing till the ending because i know the outcome of what happened to the actual game with kevin garnett but i didn't know what happened to howard and i did not expect that ending it kind of came at me real quick i was yeah. like oh goodness because you don't have a time to react uh but especially score is great cinematography is great adam sandler is great the Safety brothers direction is always wonderful i love it when people are just talking over each other it's very atmospheric in the movie it draws you in yeah. i love the score especially i'm just gonna nail that in a third time because it is my favorite score this year so far and overall i really enjoyed this movie i can't wait to see what the safety brothers do next hope adam gets a nomination but if he doesn't that's fine he'll make that horrible film he's talking about uh your number three my number three is uh once upon a time in hollywood oh yeah that's expected uh, really yeah, yeah i, I kind of knew because you liked it yeah I, I don't know why I really like this movie. Uh, I've seen all of Quentin's other movies, and this one I, I just like above the rest. I, I cannot tell you why. Maybe it's just because uh, of the whole like Manson murders thing, and also the great performance by Brad Pitt. Leonardo DiCaprio was, was fine enough. He, uh, the, the bumbling, like, kind of alcoholic actor, I, I thought that that was fine. But Brad Pitt's character was the best. Uh, Sharon Tate, I will say, was kind of uh, snubbed over for the most part. Uh, I'm, I, I am going to give the movie a watch again sometime soon, just so because I think I got the extended cut. Um, but this, there's not really a soundtrack to this movie. It's more just a collection of songs. Yeah. 
which I really like. That's kind of what the Irishman did as well. It was just a collection of old songs that they thought would get the whole point across of the movie. And the Irishman did that really well as well as this movie. Uh, um, I guess the I, I guess I will have to call it the soundtrack for what it is is uh, really like helping get the movie across because it is the 60s so it's gonna have to have those songs so that people know oh this is the era we're in Mm -hmm. um it is it's like a two hour 30 minute movie i think yeah which to some people might be long but i did watch the irishman this year so compared to that this movie is like a basic movie for in length uh, that's really all I can say about this movie. I think I gave it a 9 out of 10, and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, Hayden, go ahead and give us your number two. Okay, my number two is Parasite, and this was actually a toss-up between... Yeah, me and number one really, really had a big-time clash back and forth. I actually rewatched both and was like, man, it is so hard because they are neck and neck. <laughs> but I had to give one of them more credit, which I'm pretty sure is also Brian's number one, but we'll get to that in a minute. Maybe it's not, though. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. You don't know me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> Parasite was a Bong Joon-hoon film, and I really was looking forward to it because I like Okja. I like Snowpiercer. Okay. I, I, I like a lot of the guy's films. And at the same time, it was a Korean film, which is kind of the roots that he's used to, so it's all subtitles the entire film for American audiences, but it is such a well-crafted film about this poor family infiltrating into the rich family that you're so invested in both sides of the family, both because, A, they're not making the rich people out to be super horrible, like, yeah, they're jerks, they're a bit snubby, but they're not, like, terrible people, but at the same time, you see where this poor family is coming from. They can't afford Wi-Fi, they're trying to steal uh, steal their neighbor's Wi-Fi, they leave their house open to be fumigated for, like, bugs and stuff like that when, you know, it probably affects their lungs and is killing them, because that's not a good thing. But at the same time, the infiltration is one of the best parts. The reveal where there's something down in the basement was one of the strongest parts of the movie, in my opinion, and was something I fully believed because this house is so big, I wouldn't expect them to see like everything that was going on inside the house, and there's probably a lot of hidden rooms in it. The whole third act, in my opinion, is masterfully crafted. The whole twist that happens at the ending, everything that happens to the two families was really well done. The last scene with the dad in the basement really really powerful really really nice scene really great scene in my opinion and just the musical accompaniment of this movie of like the violins and stuff and just the lingering shots on the house and just the atmosphere because again like i said in my review of it um there's one great shot in the movie where it's like the rich people are looking at the rainstorm at their house like it's beautiful because of all the colors in the sky when the poor people houses are being flooded everything's floating everywhere they have to save what they can and salvage like there's a lot of great parallel cinematography everything the performances especially are terrific If this does not win Best Foreign Film, I will riot. This is such a good film. Now, granted, I haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which everybody is also saying is a terrific film, and we haven't gotten a chance to see it because it hasn't come to America yet, or at least to us. But at the end of the day, highly recommend (coughs) Parasite if you like films like these that kind of take on class and is a social satire in some ways. And so I really enjoyed Parasite. On to your number two. My number two is... I think you might have expected this. Fortress Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I really like this movie. I think I initially gave it a ten out of ten when it came out. Uh, I did put that down to a nine out of ten in uh, retrospective thought. Um, I thought Christian Bale gave a really good performance of the uh, off off the cuff kind of like rough guy that at the end learns from his past mistakes and just is okay with things now. Matt Damon. It just kind of felt like another Matt Damon performance. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't horrible. It was just pretty good. Uh, everyone else, I thought, gave their roles pretty well. 
one of the things that you didn't like about the movie was the kid mm-hmm. angle. Yeah. And I am still going to hold my ground on that I thought that the kid thing was uh, done about as well as it needed to be. Okay. Um, and uh, that's, that's really all I can uh, say about that part of it. Uh, the ending of the movie is really sad. I did I did tear up a little bit. Hayden, Hayden, you said you mentioned something to me after the movie. You you, you were like, oh, what's wrong? Because <laughs> you didn't understand. But I, I did get a little uh, teared at the end of the movie. I thought that the whole basically third act of the movie was all at Le, uh, the Le Mans race, and that all was really good, especially when they finally beat Ferrari. Um, the whole lead up to that I also really liked because it did show how like they wanted to beat them like they weren't just it wasn't just like friendly competition they genuinely like felt like they had to beat them just to prove how as a company they were uh, better than them and I, I guess they did it uh, I thought that John Bernthal his minor-ish character was pretty good and all around, I really I did enjoy this movie. I, I'm not normally a guy who's into racing, but this movie uh, did really like bring to light a little bit of what I don't know about racing. Okay. So, Double. my n- number one, <laughs> uh, I guess I'll just say, my number one is The Lighthouse. What's your number one? The Fanatic? No, <laughs> it's The Lighthouse. Okay. Well, I figured. So, um, The Lighthouse was a film that really... Let's do another review of The Lighthouse. Yeah, I might as well. Um... <laughs> So, The Lighthouse was a film that really stuck with me after the first time seeing it. Uh, I'm so sad that it never came closer to where we lived because we had to drive clear out of our way to actually go see it, and I actually had to skip class for a day to go see it. I was like, well, I might as well just go and see it if my, you know, if I'm, like, given permission to, and I was, and I was like, okay, well, we're gonna go see it, and I was like, if it's not worth it in the end, that's gonna kinda suck, but I will say, after we got done watching it, yeah, it was very, very worth it. So, first off, my favorite performance of the year, and I'm still standing by it, I think is Robert Pattinson. Adam Driver yeah. might be up there now competing a little bit after Marriage Story, but at the same time, Robert does a great job. And I think the poor guy was given such a bad break after Twilight to where nobody took him seriously because in a good time, he is very, very good in that movie but wasn't given any recognition. And now finally, the Academy realizes through this film that he has acting chops. He's very quiet, restrained, yeah. but he's on an island with Willem Dafoe, who's basically Captain Ahab. He <laughs> talks yeah. in a lot of sea shanty talk and he is talkative. He, he likes talks at dinner and stuff like that. Yeah. Robert doesn't want to, but when he realizes slowly through isolation that the two of them have no choice but to talk to each other. He starts to come out of his shell, reveal secrets and stuff like that. And the dynamic of these two characters are amazing, especially just the sequences where you see the two of them going up to the light and like Robert Pattinson looking in and Willem Dafoe being so protective of it, saying how you can't go up, the light is mine and all that. And uh, he's basically treating Pattinson like crap and the entire film he's like telling him, oh, well you'll get good pay for a job like this if you keep doing as I say. But what do we discover? Was he going to tell them once they got back to the uh, land, Brian? He was going to get... Yeah, they were going to give him severance without pay. And that reveal is great, too. I love the sequence uh, where they are drinking kerosene, basically, and stuff like that. They start tripping out on all of this different stuff. But I think it's just overall the uh, subliminal messages and the themes of the movie that really carry home. Because like I said, there's a lot you pick up from it. Like, the seagulls, this is still my theory, and I think this still holds true. The seagulls being the souls of dead sailors trying to warn Pattinson the entire film what Willem Dafoe did to, like, his past lighthouse 
peacekeepers and stuff. And then him beating the bird, not taking the warning, and the sea getting angry and shifting was great. I especially love the whole uh, Greek mythology ending where after he, uh, Robert Catons, uh, Pattinson kills Defoe, goes up to the light, reaches in, he laughs like a puppet, and yeah. falls down the steps. It does that whole like distortion thing yeah, and sound- gets louder and louder and mm-hmm. the image starts to distort a little bit too yeah that's just i love that ending. yeah like the whole prometheus stealing fire from zeus parallel there at the ending yeah. him being chained to a rock and an eagle comes and eats his innards out and then what happens pattinson's innards gets eaten out yeah. by a seagull at the ending like there's a lot of great parallels there i really really enjoyed the theme of power in this movie especially this is still my favorite like movie that has one of the best themes in my opinion because the theme of power these two men are in a power struggle they want that light willem dafoe holds the power because he claims to be a higher ranking captain and pattinson is not but as the film progresses, they start to slowly deteriorate. Pattinson starts to realize he has more power over him than what he thinks. It's a power struggle the entire film. Uh, one of my favorite moments about the movie rewatching it is when Willem Dafoe thinks he's a dog, and he drags him out on the little leash, and he's barking, and he's burying yeah. him alive as he's talking. Not only that, but the monologues, especially the monologues yeah. of this film. I, I don't know what else I can say, aside from what you've already just mentioned. I know. Like, the, the, there is the also... I did get shit for this but the cabin fever thing i'm still holding on to that as well because there are a lot of cabin fever elements in this movie mm-hmm. and i'm and i'm not gonna let that go and i know that you have some people that are gonna give me shit for that uh yeah especially uh if you do see this movie just simply see it for the fact that there's a scene where willem dafoe is arguing with a drunk robert pattinson who wants steak doesn't like his lobster and then breaks into the speech where he screams hark and talks about how he wants uh yeah. poseidon to come and cast him out to the sea and all that and it's haunting because it zooms in uh, closer yeah. on his face and his eyes are making weird movements and it's just like all handled really well this was made by robert eggers and i have always been a big robert eggers guy because the witch in my opinion is one of the better films to come out in the past few years just simply because it feels so different from other horror films and i really nail that in home now after the lighthouse and i am looking forward to whatever robert pattinson does uh not robert pattinson robert eggers well, does as next. well as robert pattinson yeah <laughs> but at the end of the day academy please consider nominating this one i know you guys like to snub films like these but you really really can't look by this film you really have to see what it's about and i hope it does get nominated if it doesn't it's gonna break my heart a little bit i may get even more ticked off at the oscars than i normally do even though they're a joke at this point but (laughs) again really the lighthouse is my number one favorite film of the year i don't have much else i can say besides uh, what you've already said uh Do you want to go ahead and move on to worse? Yeah, so I'll reiterate my top uh, films of 2019 one more time. So number 10 is oh, Ready yeah. or Not. Number 9 is Knives Out. Number 8 is Queen and Slim. Number 7 is Rocket Man. Number 6 is The Art of Self-Defense. Number 5 is Marriage Story. Number 4 is The Irishman. Number 3 is Uncut Gems. Number 2 is Parasite. And number 1 is The Lighthouse. Uh, my uh, best movie of 2019, I'll, I'll go ahead and restate mine. Number 10 is Zombieland Double Tap. Number 9 is Rocket Man. Number 8 is Uncut Gems. Number 7 is The Irishman. Number 6 is Queen and Slim. Number 5 is Joker. Number 4 is Knives Out. Number 3 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number 2 is Ford v. Ferrari. And, one, and number 1 is The Lighthouse. Okay. So now we That's will the move. Only one we agree <laughs> yeah. uh, so now we're going to move into the worst films. So, again, guys, like we said, don't agree with our opinions on the worst ones. You can form your own. It's not don't that agree hard. with our opinions on the best ones. Form your own. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so let's move into the worst films of the year now. Fuck you, it's the worst of the year. Yeah, it is the worst of the year. Alright, so. Yeah, we can go okay. with that. I mean, it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyways, it's time for the top 10 worst movies we saw in 2019. So, 
This is probably going to be uh, kind of different because I think the two of us have randomized opinions on bad movies. We're also in really jokey mood right yeah. now. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go through my honorable mentions. These are, again, not bad enough to make the list, but are still bad in general. I was going to do honorable mentions, but I decided it's not worth it. Yeah. Okay, so my honorable mentions for horrible films that weren't bad enough to make the top ten are Medea Family Funeral, <laughs> The Ele- <laughs> Keep going. The Aladdin remake, MIB International, Child's Play, Murder Mystery, It Chapter 2, Rambo Last Blood, Countdown, Terminator Dark Fate, and Fractured the Netflix film. So, you don't have any, I assume? No, but can I just say that when I was making, when I was going through, like, my letterbox to see the movies that I rated really low, I forgot the name of the Terminator movie. Yeah, everybody kind of I genuinely forgot the name of it. Okay, uh, do you want to go ahead and do your number 10? Yeah, okay. So, (laughs) the number 10 worst film that I saw this year was Hellboy Remake. So, really, I don't understand the whole decision to be like, Hey, Hellboy, that's a franchise that Guillermo del Toro promised to make a third sequel to. Well, let's reboot it, shall we? So, while I don't really think that David Harbour is to blame for the film, I think he actually gives the best that he can with the performance, because honestly, he's trying to fill the shoes of Ron Perlman that was already so good as Hellboy, it was hard to replace him, but at the same time, the movie itself just has such an all-over-the-place plot and structure to where I had a hard time trying to get into it, because it involves the Queen of Death, and then it involves this pig thing that got its uh, butt burnt and sent out of a chimney that wants revenge all these years later. There's this girl that can, like, bring people back from the dead as, like, ghosts that come out of her mouth, and I was like, what is going on here? And then, the whole movie is just, like, their failed attempt at, like, doing a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing where they're trying to build (laughs) up a sequel, and just overall, the movie doesn't work because I didn't even know what the plot was for the most part. I knew they had to take out this queen of death or whoever it was but then he has daddy issues with ian mcshane in the movie (laughs) then him and this one girl are trying to discover more about her past and they're trying to do all of this random stuff the pig thing still wants revenge just overall this movie's a bit of a mess i would have preferred the third guillermo del toro movie whenever it was coming out but it's just a shame that this movie was made in general yeah my number 10 is pet cemetery uh the only good thing about it is john lithgow uh it's not that low of a rating i gave it i don't think but it also wasn't a good movie uh like i think this one was only slightly better than the original and i haven't even seen that one it was just a messy movie the ending was a mess the lead up was a mess they even changed up uh what the original movie did a lot like in the original movie and in the book it was the little kid that gets hit by the semi in this movie it's like the girl who's like in elementary school and it's like why I just keep it how the original movie was. Anyways, that's my number 10. Uh, my number 9 is actually Pet Cemetery. <laughs> yeah, not too far off. Uh, so, I don't like this movie in general. I don't really like any of the performances. I think my biggest thing is that it's so run-of-the-mill to the point of where I've grown tired of run-of-the-mill horror movies. It's just, I really don't like creepy little girl stuff in horror movies anymore because it's either jump scares or a child actor that is not as great as she's supposed to be. And that's the biggest issue, too, is that you can watch so many of these movies nowadays that have child actors like this like for example the conjuring films have done creepy little girls the exorcist was like the first one to it, do it so every it's film the most followed cliche it. thing of yeah. the late 2000s and most of the 2010s yeah and it's just like i was so tired of a movie that wasn't doing anything different the twists themselves you can see coming from a mile away when characters die they're brought back and the reveal is like oh no they're so much different from what they once were overall i was really bored with this movie because it was mainly jump scares jump scares creepy little girl stuff and an ending you saw coming from a mile away because i was like well it's not going to have a happy ending it's a horror film even though they try to like fake you out at first that he's going to kill the daughter and then oh no he gets stabbed through the chest and yeah. then it's like 
I mean, what was the point of even watching this movie? I about <laughs> fell asleep like three separate times watching it because I was so bored. But yeah, that's it. Pet Cemetery's nine. <clears throat> oh, okay. My number nine is Gamediaman, starring Smil With and Will Smith. Okay. Um, do I need to explain why? It's because we didn't uh, watch it in 120 FPS, of course. Gemini Man, it was a mess. The entire movie was a mess. The the CG wasn't great. The acting wasn't amazing. Uh, I guess some of the stunts were fine. Uh, I don't know if Will Smith did his own stunts or what. Yeah. Uh, I bet that Snow With Kid did, though. Um, all around, it it wasn't a good movie. It was... Uh, just painful to watch, and I just like making fun of it now. Yeah. Uh, so my number eight is actually Gemini Man. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not far off from you. Um, yeah. So Gemini Man, I guess, kind of going off what you were saying, I don't really get the whole, like, revolutionary, groundbreaking CGI thing, because it, it looks bad in the daytime, especially, like, it really looked like a fake-looking Will Smith. Dude, but in the, the dark... At the end? Yeah. The, it was the worst. Yeah, the end, it wasn't very good at all. But, like, that's what bugged me, was, like, they were saying, oh, it took forever, this movie's meant to be shown in, like, a different quality than what it's being shown in movie theaters. Well... Again, that's not the movie theater's fault. That's on you for making a movie that supposedly was supposed to be shown in this high quality. And I was going to say, also, a lot of the reviews that I've seen, people that watched the movie in 120 FPS, said the acting was worse. Yeah, I can can believe that. it's not supposed to be seen like that. The the 24 FPS, like, covers that up, at least. Yeah. And uh, I guess what uh, bugged me, too, was the main villain felt like they had just taken, like, a script, thrown it in an algorithm machine, and it just typed out this generic bad guy, (laughs) which bothered me. Will Smith is alright, I guess, but, again, when he's playing, like, the younger kid, he doesn't really sound any different. Like, if he was trying to go for his younger self, he's not really doing it, because it just sounds like him casually talking to himself in his same tone of voice, which kind of bugged me. Uh, The reveal in the third act, where there is a third Will Smith had us both dying, because it's the dumbest thing on the planet. And I think, overall, I would just never watch this movie again in a sense of there's just nothing redeeming about yeah. it. I, I really would have enjoyed it better if they just took his dialogue from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and made that what his young uh, self says. Uh, okay, my number eight is Child's Play. Uh, I have already had it at home that I'm a big fan of the slasher genre, but this movie doesn't really do that genre justice because it's supposed to be like an updated version and while yes the technology uh does work its way in i guess um it's not really that groundbreaking for a new child's play movie because it kind of just feels samey with just a little bit better tech the whole backstory of the guy who's like overstressed at work and then programs it to like i think he, he just gets pissed off and programs it to have none of the precautions or anything. So it's able to take its own uh, liberties with uh, stuff. And then he kills himself. It's just like, why would they do that? Like, they could have just left the uh, franchise alone and let it be the 17th sequel or whatever that came out this year. Because there was another Chucky movie that came out this year and it was a sequel to the long list of sequels of the original. It wasn't a good movie. I think Mark Hamill voiced Chucky in this one. Mm-hmm. He was fine. I thought Aubrey Plaza was good. I thought that some of the kills were good. Other than that, it wasn't a good movie. Yeah. Um, number seven. My number seven is Ma. And Ma is one of those <laughs> films that I really thought looked awful from the trailer. And I had no intentions of seeing. Then two people were like, I really want to see it. And I was like, I guess I'll go. And so I went and saw it. 
We laughed a lot during this movie. It's just not great. And poor Octavia Spencer is so talented, too, to where I don't understand why she took on this performance. But she plays a creepy lady, a bit of a stalker, that wants to party with all these high school kids. And when they start ignoring her, she's sending weird videos of her screaming, don't make me drink alone. There's a hilarious uh, part of the movie that is still engraved in my head where she is driving down the road and uh, Missy Pyle, that's her name, I just figured out. She played Violet Beauregard's mom in the remake. Oh my god. Um, She's jogging, and Ma comes to hit her with the truck, and she just explodes into chunks after hitting her. And I forget what Ma says afterward, but she turns on the radio, and it's Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I was just laughing so hard. And there's another great scene, too, where, like, she's sitting in her driveway. These kids come and throw, like, a beer can at her car and go, You're a loser, Ma. And she starts crying because of that. And then (laughs) breaks into a serious face. And I was like, what's going on? But just overall, they also had other dumb choices. Like, when Ma starts to party with the kids down in her basement, she's putting on songs that nobody gets down to, like Funky Town and... uh, You told me you can't get down to Funky Town. And and Kung Fu Fighting. She kicks over beer cans and does karate moves. And I was just like, this movie is very out of touch especially in the teenage kids the dialogue they're given is so out of touch that Blumhouse just does not really understand teenagers I think and my biggest issue is that this movie was just so forgettably bad and even the punishments that happen to the kids at the ending aren't that bad like one girl just gets her lips sewn shut she can easily get them cut it's that easy like you just take a pair of scissors or something cut it off she can talk again another kid gets an iron on his chest because she had to ruin his perfect body okay, he's got a mark on the middle of his chest now. Like, granted, it's probably horrible looking, but it's nothing permanent. And then she paints a black kid's face yeah. white. And I was like, is that it? That's it. That That's it for, like, the big punishments. And so... She doesn't, she doesn't kill anybody? No. I, well, she kills a few people in the movie, like Missy Pyle and all them, and, like, the, the father of one of the kids. But other than that, no. She also shoots a cop twice, and it was just, like, it's not a very good movie. She gets hit in the face with a frying pan at the ending. She falls down the steps. She wakes up in the fire. She gets in bed with, like, this boy she'd been hitting on. They also drag in a subplot of her when she was little, like, sucking off this guy in the janitor's closet. Then she comes out, and the whole school laughs at her. And I was like... What what, what is this movie anymore? What yeah, I fuck? I really don't like this movie. Hasn't aged well in my mind. So you're number seven now. I wish it was that. <laughs> my number seven is Aladdin. Uh, yeah. Which I'm assuming this is probably going to be lower on your list. Uh, Aladdin was in my honorable mentions. Oh, it actually. was okay. I liked I... it better than a certain Disney sequel, which we'll bring up later. <laughs> you mean remake? No remake. My bad. <clears throat> okay, Aladdin. It was a fine movie. It's not as good as the original. Uh, it's It's got Will Smith in it. That's the only thing that the, the movie had going for it. Uh, it. It just doesn't work live action, people. Like, you can't just take all of these things that were done animated and be like, oh, we can do that live action. Like that, um, the song One Step Ahead of the Breadline or whatever it's called. That was, like, they did that all sped up. The entire, like, scene throughout the village and stuff. They just sped up his running and stuff to make it fit with the song. And they just shouldn't have done it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... Like, I, I I don't hate the movie, but I don't like Love it. Love it, yeah. What about Jafar? What'd you think of Jafar? Uh, you mean the 7-Eleven worker? Uh. The guy from our local Circle K? Um, he wasn't good. <laughs> Uh, see, how did they... They didn't get rid of him in, like, in the original. Because in the original, they had him, like, in a thing, in the little... Uh, genie lamp, yeah. Yeah, genie lamp, and he just throws him, like, a baseball. And this one, is it just... 
they just like throw it out the window or something? I think they chuck it. It's kind of like what uh, Robin Williams did, where he chucked it clear into the desert. That's what they do at the ending. But like, some, not as good. Yeah, some inversions I didn't like was like uh, in the animated one, Jafar turns into a giant snake at the ending. Yeah, and in this that's, one, that would be scary. Yeah, in this one, they just turn it into a giant bird, and then he turns into a poorly CGI genie at the ending, which it's, uh, oh. it, it's not a good. And the dad is like a cool guy in this one in yeah. the original he was a bumbling fool they should just kept him a short bumbling they should have had Danny DeVito yeah. play him uh what'd you think of Jasmine's song about not going speechless I forgot she did a song about not going speechless oh you, you forgot I about that I forgot a lot of things from the movie yeah I don't blame you that very... should tell you how bad it is yeah. do your next one alright so my number six is The Lion King 2019 <laughs> so I hate this movie I really do not like this movie first off how Disney do you expect people to just be okay with this film because again it is a shot for shot remake in live action of The That's Lion not. King it has, what about that it has, hair? It has like three what about scenes the, that are different what about the dung beetle stop it but anyways uh what bothers me the most about this movie is it sounds like nobody wants to be there childish gambino doesn't sound like he even wants to be He's doing so the movie beyonce huh? sounds like she kind of just phoned in all of her lines and then her singing uh they didn't bring back like jeremy irons to do scar they brought in this other guy i think it was chewit oljafor and he's all right as scar but nothing memorable uh, another thing that bugged me too was like the songs are somewhat worse from the original. James Earl Jones sounds tired the entire time, like he wants to be at home. Yeah. Like, why did they even bring him back? It's the same dialogue, literally same dialogue, and they could have just easily like dubbed it over. But no, but for some reason they needed him to repeat it. And they cut "Be Prepared." Short. Yeah. Uh, there's a song with Timon and Pumbaa that Seth Rogen can't sing, and I don't get the decision to allow him to sing or anything like that. I get it's like a joke song, the whole Hakuna Matata thing, but, like, they're the best part of the movie. But even, like, the delivery and some of, like, the scenes themselves get ruined, especially Long Live the King. In the original, when, like, he sinks his claws into Mufasa, does that smile and says, Long Live the King, and lets him go. It's a terrifying moment. He's, like, swinging his arms and yeah. Simba's screaming. It zooms out of his face and all that. Yeah. But in this one, it's like, Long Live the King, and the lion just smacks him on the nose, and he goes limp and falls back. And Long I was Live like, the King! And, and ah! then Simba lets out that little, No! Like, it was just so <laughs> minuscule. And even another scene where, like, Rafiki figures out that Simba's alive. Like, in yeah. the animated one, he's he's joyful. He's, like, happy. He's laughing a whole bunch. Yeah. He's like, Simba's alive. We're saved. And this one, he's like, oh, Simba's alive. And he just does the thing on the tree. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like, just ruin the impact of this movie. And yeah. just overall, really bad remake. One of the worst Disney films I've seen in quite some time. In fact, Disney... What are you doing? Why even make these anymore? You're never going to make one that's as good as the original, and you're just ruining your own brand by putting these out. This was such a bad film. Yeah, why didn't you just make my next one, Frozen 2, instead? That's my number six. <laughs> your number six? Okay. Yeah. Um, this movie was a fucking mess. The music sucked. There was only two good songs. I thought that... Um, the. I think I had some issues with the animation, which I still hold true to. Uh, the voice acting was fine, I guess. I thought that Adina Menzel was a little bit eh in this movie. Um, maybe she was too busy doing Uncut Gems. Who knows? Hopefully. <laughs> um, it, everything else... It just felt like the most pointless movie ever. Like, I get it. They needed to make more money off the toys, even though Disney's a almost... I think they're multi-billion dollar oh, now. Oh, they are. Maybe trillions. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, this was the most unnecessary uh, movie ever. I get it. Frozen was a good movie. And I really liked the original Frozen. It was a... I enjoyed it. I liked the songs and everything. But when you're making a 80s 
boy band song that you have, uh, what's his name? Uh, Christoph? Yeah, Christoph. That you have him singing. It's just not necessary or good or anything. I feel bad for some of the people in this movie. Go to number five. Number five is Six Underground. Michael Bay, I hate you. I don't know why you're still working in Hollywood. Like, honestly, he has money. here's what bugs me. He didn't work with the Transformers films, right? So you'd assume, hey, this guy doesn't work with Transformers films. Let's find something else that might work for him. Have him do just really bad action films from here on out. So what's happened? I think Hasbro and some of, uh, I think it's Universal that owns Transformers was like, okay, we're going to just do other films without you for a while, yeah. Michael Bay. And he was like, oh, well, I'm ticked off about that. And so for a while, he was just kind of going around making small films. Like he made like 13 hours in Benghazi or something like that. It was all right. I mean, but like... Michael Bay then went and made Six Underground with Ryan Reynolds, which is a Netflix exclusive film. This film is so bad in the action area, so bad. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I'm gonna let you go off. Let, let, let me go off. So again, as you know, big action guy. Michael Bay just kills action for me. Like, I, I don't understand it. So first off, camera never sits still. It is constantly moving. That's one thing that bugs me. Like, it's either up in faces or it's just like being thrown around cameraman to cameraman. Can, can I ask you a question? What? Is it better or worse than Angel Has Fallen? Angel's Fallen is better, because remember how I told you Angel's Fallen actually had sequences where it followed them from behind? This movie has, like, barely any of that. It's just, like, them throwing the camera around. Uh, he still does firework explosions, which I feel like is really outdated. Even black powder explosions. I'm like, Michael, they moved on from that. They found better ways to do pyrotechnics and stuff. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just going to keep my brand. And it doesn't look good. There's, like, a sequence where, like, a guy hits the back of another car, and it's like a collision when it happens. It's like just a small ding, but they treat it like a car crash. The car goes flipping. I'm like, what is going on? Ryan Reynolds can't even save the movie. I didn't laugh much at him, and like they killed six off at the beginning, and I was like, why is it called Six Underground then? Bring in seven is what they did. There's even a guy in this movie called The Skywalker. I'm not even kidding you, and he is one of the dumbest characters I've ever seen written. Just overall... The action doesn't sit still. You can barely tell what's going on. It's got dumb action that Michael Bay has done in every single film ever he's directed. Those black powder explosions are still cool to him for some reason. Ryan Reynolds isn't even that good. Story is so lackluster and bland. It's a heist movie that barely even heists, it feels like. Overall, as an action junkie, uh, this film ticked me off. You're number five. Number five is Terminator Dark Fart. Um, what, what can I say that we didn't say before? This movie... Again, unnecessary sequel. Like they, they really didn't know either where they were going with this. They, are they already had Terminator Two, which was a good ending to a duology. They should have left it like that. And then they made all those other sequels that everyone knows are trash. And then they made this. You know how this movie starts off? Fucking Arnie coming and shooting her son, John Connor. That's his name. Yeah. And it's like. I guess I get it. This movie did have the best example of uh, digital de-aging. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked really good. Yeah, Sarah kind of looked good. Uh, As as did Arnie. Yeah. Um, Like, that was the only good thing about this movie. Some of the action was good. Um, The new Terminators weren't. And you'd think that, like, since the future was erased, there wouldn't be any Terminators that would have come from the uh, future and, like, come to the past like Arnie's Terminators but no he still exists you think he would disappear after they uh, fixed everything but no so Arnie still exists and he's living in the woods and stuff and it's just not good I think they call him Carl or something Mm -hmm. 
I, I don't I don't like it. Go do number four. Serenity. <laughs> okay, name. so Hold on, sorry. <laughs> this film has been delayed for a long time. I think it was supposed to come out in like 2018, and then it got delayed until January. And I was like, well, if it's a January film, then it's probably horrible because every January film that comes out in January is usually bad. It's it's like January's the dump month, as I call yeah. it, where you just dump the movie you don't care about. So Serenity at first was actually pretty promising. Like Matthew McConaughey was playing a guy, fisherman, went out on a boat, took some people, made money and stuff like that. And then his ex-wife comes in and is like, I need you to kill my husband and I need you to dump him out at sea. And I was like, okay, this is interesting because like they live on a small town where I feel like everybody would get word out about what he did or something like that. And I figured that's what the movie would be. But then this lawyer guy with a suit and a briefcase just keeps, like, walking into frame every few minutes after Matthew, like, interacts with the husband and the the, the ex-wife and stuff like that. And then it's revealed once the guy goes to the house and stuff and talks to him that they're in a video game that is coded by the son of the actual son in the video game. I was like, what is this twist? And so... Apparently, in order to beat the video game, he has to kill the dad. And after the dad is killed, the whole world just starts, like, coding away. It starts, like, Thanosing away, and Matthew McConaughey's just looking around. And the reason that the kid that's coded himself in the game, in the real world, made the game is because he's never seen his actual dad. And the ex-dad in the movie is the one in real life that beats him. This movie is so just narratively stupid to the point of where I was going, What idiot like this? I can't get behind why somebody would like this. Like, Matthew's trying his best, Anne Hathaway's trying her best, Jason Clark's trying his best, but it's just, this movie's bad. Narratively, it is not a good movie. I legit hated every twist that happened in this movie. At least Matthew would redeem himself with The Beach Bum later this year. That movie is a lot better in so many areas, even though it barely has a plot, but I didn't care because anything was better than Serenity. I don't like it. You're number four. The Beach Bum was Harmony Corrine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. His films are just mellow. They're yeah. fine. Uh, number four is Home Alone 6, Rambo, Last Blood. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie, the only good thing about it was the ends. Like, the, the, yeah. But, I, I mean, like, the third act, basically. Yeah. Where he's killing all those guys and stuff. Because that's actually good. Everything leading up to it, I don't even remember. <laughs> all I remember is the cool, like... Uh, action sequence at the end, and that's all I care about. And him ripping the guy's heart out of his chest. Oh my god, I forgot that happened. Yeah. He shoots him in the knees and <laughs> shoulders with the arrows, too. Yeah. Do your number three. I don't have anything okay. else to say about this. Uh, number three is Charlie's Angels. Yeah, both don't of us... Don't call me Angel! Neither of us really like this movie. Um biggest issue is that it was fine in the action department, but it was very hand-fisted men bad men bad brian the entire film and i was just like again i don't like movies like this that preach a narrative that's trying to get people fired up and granted when this movie bombed it didn't help that elizabeth banks said oh straight white men don't want to go see uh female-led action films and i'm like okay pushing it hate female-led action films. we must obviously but uh we went and saw it we both hated it like we said the whole film is preaching a narrative that i can't get behind because this movie is solely focused on trying to create that device uh divisive narrative because i thought at first that patrick stewart was not going to be the bad guy but then i was like no no no, it's too obvious it's going to be him and when it's him i'm like oh but patrick stewart's not a bad guy why would you make him the bad guy 
and there's also a lot of other dumb stuff in the movie like some of the actions not well choreographed like Kristen Bell like pulls her punches a little bit sometimes there's also dumb stuff that happens in the movie like this one guy that's basically a terminator who can't seem to die until he's impaled on an ice sculpture at the ending and then there's a lot of other dumb stuff and the girls all win at the ending and it's fine it's just like another movie that I think we're both going to talk about here in a minute, it just preaches a narrative I can't get behind, and I don't like movies like this that get preachy and try to make divisive films. You're number three. Can I just say, the guy getting impaled by the ice sculpture reminds me of a scene in in the movie Jason X, which was one of the worst sequels to Friday the 13th, where some guy gets impaled on a corkscrew thing, and he just spins down it. Alright, my number three is Countdown! Countdown! <laughs> uh, poor, poor plot. Um, it's just another... I guess... It's, it's, I don't know what I would consider. It's not really a slasher. It's just a bad attempt at a horror movie, I guess. Uh, the, good, the best part of it was Tom Segura. The worst part of it was everything else. <laughs> Uh, they didn't know how to write dialogue, I guess. They didn't know how to write characters. Uh, I feel like they could have just let Tom Segura riff for, like, 20 minutes, and that would have been fine <laughs> for the movie. Uh, it's, it's not scary. It's not good. They handle this whole, like... They, they threw in this half-assed, like, sexual harassment thing. You remember that? They threw that in, and it just wasn't good. Uh, you're going to like my number two. Really? Okay, well, here's my number two. My number two is Black Christmas. <laughs> so, this movie, I'm just going to say right now, holy smokes. If you haven't heard our review on it, go listen to our, that. Our, like, 40-minute Yeah, rant. like, we ranted on this movie for a while. Basically... Uh, yeah, this film, I'm not even going to try and, like, remember off the top of my head because, again, I just really don't like it. Again, men bad narrative, but a little bit more of a heavy hand-fisted twist on it. So, these men are horrible. They don't ask for consent or anything like that. They kind of walk around like they're better than them. The girls are preaching about how they have to get rid of the name of this, like, Hawthorne guy on the campus because he owns slaves or something like that. And I was like, okay, why is this in a slasher film, though? The entire, like, cult thing where they, like... I don't consider this a slasher film, Aiden. Well, it says it on, like... Shut up! I know. But, um, (laughs) basically, the whole thing with, like, the head bust and them, like, putting black goo on each other's foreheads and then becoming part of the cult was kind of stupid. Like, there's a thing that happens in the movie where they look at, like, the face of someone. I think it was in the trailer, and it's a head bust. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense, though. no! In the trailer, it was, like, they killed a guy and it was a bust. Yeah. In the movie... It was, like, this, they just put, like, a bad uh, filter over yeah. his face, and it was worse. They should have just made yeah. it where they turned into stone statues when they died. Yeah. The whole movie is kind of what I'd consider a feminist film in a lot of areas, because, again, the whole men bad thing... I don't I, consider I, it a feminist film, feminist film, because feminists... For them, uh, feminism is not this. Well, it seems like it. This it, is extreme. It, it, it's extreme, really bad in that area. But I, I think what bothers me the most about it is just the fact that I went in for a slasher and I got a political correctness movie shoved at me, and I was like, "Why? This is a Christmas slasher. Like, why? Why would I care?" And I guess because you're personally like attached to the original Black Christmas, this really bugged you. Yes, didn't it's it? just one of my new favorite slasher movies, right. and then this one was ugh. Your number. Two. My number two is Charlie's Angels. Yeah, yeah. You know why? We already talked about it. What's your number one? 
My number one is Keanu Reeves Replicas. Oh, I really don't like this I movie. I haven't seen it yet. So, Keanu Reeves cannot act, as a lot of people know, unless he's given the proper Whoa. role. Unless he's given the proper role. Whoa. Now, it's in this one, it felt like he was just <laughs> doing a favor for a friend, because he's not good in this at all, and that was one of my biggest bothers, was the fact that he just really seemed like he had no clue what his direction was or his character. Another thing that is really, really bad about the movie, too, in my opinion, is the fact that it is so inconsistent with its story. So, Keanu Reeves' family dies, and he clones them, and these clones have to learn how to, like, build themselves back up to normal later, and they don't discover their clones till the end of the film, and this evil corporation guy was like, how did all of our technology get stolen? What is Keanu Reeves doing? And He's cloning the family, and then at one point it's revealed that, like, Keanu Reeves' consciousness is going into a robot for some reason, and the robot is very poorly CGI'd. It actually moves at very slow, like, frames per second. Like, it looks like a really bad rendering of the way it moves, and it, like, attacks at the ending, and just... Overall, this is a wreck, because his wife in the movie is actually played by a model that has no previous acting experience at all and was only plucked because she's pretty. The kid actors are looking at the camera sometimes and then looking away. And overall, this was just a very poorly thought out movie because the whole cloning thing doesn't make any sense. The fact that the company wouldn't have figured out it's Keanu Reeves doesn't make any sense. The whole movie makes zero sense altogether and was so forgettable that after rewatching it yesterday, today, I've forgotten the majority of this movie. You're number one. Can I just... I, I just looked this movie up. Um, it has Thomas Middleditch in it, which we all know him. He's he's a pretty funny comedian. Uh, and you remember the girl from Doctor Sleep? She's in it. Emily Allen Lind? No way. Yeah. Her? No way. She was in Doctor Sleep. Mm. Remember her? God. All right, I guess uh, you're number one. Okay, my number one is Black Christmas. Wow, what a shock. Because I fucking hated this Yeah, movie. go ahead, go off. It was like my lowest rated movie of the year. Can I just say, when you're doing a rape angle in a movie, you do it better than this. They could have made this a rape revenge movie. Sp- I Spit on Your Grave is a great example. That's a successful-ish movie. They didn't do that with this movie. They just made that a unnecessary plot point that they bring back later why (laughs) um and then oh fuck what was i gonna say the whole like what's his name hawthorne what the fuck yeah we are seeing a guy running across the street right now sorry uh hawthorne is his name i think this fucking bust of him that's leaking goo out of his eyes and stuff it's so fucking dumb uh, the acting is horrible. If you've seen the first movie, the acting isn't amazing, but it's better than fucking this. <laughs> uh, the plot of the original movie is better than this. Uh, oh, I don't know if I ever told you, but there's a guy that was in the original that was in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey a few years before. found that interesting. Um, so, back to this movie. Um, men bad. Uh, every there, there was like this one cop that was, that wanted to help them. He genuinely wanted to help them, but he couldn't because he didn't have enough evidence or anything. So he gets killed off. Yeah. The only guy character that stays in the movie and stays alive is this R slash good guy, basically, except he's actually kind of a good guy. And he's like, he's black. He's So he's the only guy that stays and he's a black guy. 
the only diversity this movie has is male, female, black, white. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. I don't think there's a gay character. There's no... I don't think there's an Asian character, uh, a Native American character, an Indian character, a Russian, a Swedish, or anything. It's... It, from what it looks like, there's only black, white, male, female. Because that's all Blumhouse is getting for their diversity, I guess. Fuck. I think Countdown had a better diversity than this. I, I cannot say <laughs> in words how much I fucking hated this movie. Yeah, that's fair. Do you, so, so, do you want me to do my year of retrospection, which is uh, kind of a few movies, movies that I'm going to give a Yeah, yeah, go to. ahead. Talk about that. Okay. So, I have a couple movies, or a five movies that I'm going to give a second chance to. Uh, and I think I was a little bit harder on them. Uh, Hayden would probably agree that I was kind of hard on them. Ready or not is my number five for my year. Especially that one. <laughs> this next year, I'm going to try and rewatch these movies. And I know Hayden has some of them. I was really hard on Ready or Not. And it might be just because I missed some of the movie because uh, I fell asleep. And I just, I guess I w- wasn't as involved in the plot as I should have been. So I'm going to give that one a second chance. Captive State. I know you kind of said this was a forget forgettable movie anyway. It was just okay. I feel like I I also fell asleep during this movie, so I'm gonna have to give it a second chance as well. Um, I it's what I kept saying was it was basically 1984, but with like aliens, and I'm gonna hold to that. But I'm still gonna give this movie a second chance with open eyes. Okay. Godzilla King of the Monsters. I know that you also didn't like this movie that much. I well, it's okay. It's just I want it's Godzilla not, fighting. Yeah. I don't care about humans. It's not a kaiju movie as much as it should be. There needs to be more kaiju. Which is upsetting. There needs to be more kaiju. But I'm going to give it a second chance. I know that other Brian really liked it. Uh, I think he said it was like a 6 or a 7, didn't he? Yeah, a 7 or a 6, I think. Yeah. Doctor Sleep. Yeah, this one too. You need to. I got so much shit for not liking this movie. And honestly, maybe I just wasn't in a good mood. Or maybe I was just way too hard on it. I'm not sure. All I'm saying is... I'll give it a second chance. Brightburn. Oh, I know that at least one of our friends really was not happy with my opinions on this movie. Yeah. Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I was fair enough to this movie as I could be, but maybe I wasn't. So I am going to give it a second chance. I did like the idea of an evil Superman. There were a lot of cool kills in it. But I, I don't really know. So that's that's my year of retrospection. So do you want to go back to our worst movies of 2019 again? Yeah, yeah, I'll just reiterate them all. Okay, so remember, 10 Hellboy, 9 Pet Cemetery, 8 Gemini Man, 7 Ma, 6 The Lion King, 5 Six Underground, 4 Serenity, 3 Charlie's Angels, 2 Black Christmas, and number 1 Replicas. So these are the worst films I saw in 2019, which means that... Uh, you basically failed the test. You didn't try as a film in 2019. You barely even tried to make this movie watchable. And so, next year there will probably be bad films. Next year there will probably be great films. And I guess that's the thing about these end-of-the-year recaps is that we show you what we liked from the year, what we're looking forward to into the coming years. And granted, we don't really know what's coming up next year. There's, like, Sonic the Hedgehog that's coming out next year. Fuck you, that movie looks good. There's Bad Boys for Life. There's the new James Bond film. There's Black uh, Widow. There's a couple films that are coming out 
out next year, but there isn't really enough. Yeah, there's <laughs> there isn't really enough coming out right now that I would really say I'm interested in. Like, there's this one film that is coming from uh, not A24, but the people that worked on Hereditary and uh, Midsummer, that Saint Maud or whatever, where it's like the girl that believes in Jesus and like, oh yeah, the, yeah that looks yeah. fucking it, it's good. creepy, and that's like the, probably the number one film right now that I'm interested Woman in because it's window. so different. Yeah, Woman in the Window too looks kind of interesting. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I will say that there's a few horror movies that are supposed to be coming out next year. There's another fucking Halloween movie coming out next year, apparently. Yeah, that's probably your most I'm gonna, anticipated. No, it's not. No. <laughs> I'm going to shit on that movie so hard. Because <laughs> it's not going to be good, let's be honest. Yeah, no, we'll see what one has um, does. Woman in the Window looks really good. Uh, I'm hoping that Amy Adams can carry the movie because it looks like she's going to be the main character. Um, I The new Invisible Man movie that's supposed to be coming out, I was really hard on the trailer when I first saw it, but apparently people are actually saying it looks good. So I'm going to go ahead and give that movie a chance when it comes out, and hopefully it's good. Uh, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Um, uh, St. Maud. Yeah, I'm looking forward to No Time to Die, even if James Bond is basically getting cancelled at this point. And, I mean, I've been, I, I've been with Bond forever, but this is the 25th one. You might as well see Daniel Craig's last performance. And then yeah. if Bond's bad from there, then I've just kind of lost the I've, series. I've never seen a Bond movie and I'm honestly probably going to go into this blind. If we, Oh, do I'd still it. recommend Skyfall and quantum or not quantum. quantum uh, no, quantum oh, sucks. Quantum. Uh, Casino Royale. Oh, okay. That, that's a good one too. But yeah, so 2020, we don't really have a lot to say because we don't know what's all going to come out. Um, now, there are some 2019 films we haven't seen yet. Uh, 1917 does not come out till January 10th yeah. in this area. Uh, also, A Hidden Life is another film that has not come out yet in our area. I think that's also January 10th. Just Mercy also looks very interesting from Michael B. Jordan and company. That comes out January 10th. And I think that's it. Maybe Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I feel like I'm going to have to rent that one to hear what everybody's talking about. Yeah. But sorry we did not see those guys. If they do alter our list, we will probably talk about those when the Oscar nominations come out, when we talk about our Oscar predictions and then the aftermath of the Oscars, oh. obviously. Yeah. So that being said, thank you guys for listening for a year. It, it honestly is awesome. Well, not a year, about six well, months. Well, about six months. But thank you guys, honestly, for sticking with us for so long. We weren't really sure if anybody would catch on, and they are. Remember, Brian is still doing rewind replays over on his side. And so, uh, possibly. I, yeah, possibly. <laughs> he isn't quite sure. But uh, he is still, I hope, planning on doing those. It's a fun podcast to be on. I'm still going to be here. But remember, guys, next year we are limiting ourselves, right, Brian? So yes. uh, there's nothing really in January that sticks out to us besides like 1917 yeah. but that's a january or that's a 2019 film is what yeah. sucks uh i know we we talked about some of the movies that are supposed to be coming out next year there's there's nothing that looks great that's coming out so far so far yeah maybe some more shitty slasher remakes and stuff which i know for sure i'm gonna be interested in even if they look like they're gonna be bad because knowing you know me hayden <laughs> yeah uh like like I said, Woman in the Window, Invisible yeah. Man, uh, Saint Maud, Sonic the Hedgehog, we're we're seeing that. Yeah, we have no choice. We have to see that. We'll probably talk about that one for a while. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, remember guys, next year it's not going to be a podcast every week. It's going to be a movie me and Brian feel like we can talk about. So again, we'll discuss it a little bit. Probably be like, well, yeah. do you want to probably do a pod- monthly at least? Yeah, do you want to do a podcast on this one? And yeah. if he's like, yeah, then I'm like, okay, then we'll do a podcast. And if we both kind of disagree, say we can't then we most likely won't. So again, next year, guys, it's it's not going to be like one podcast episode that comes out a month, but 
just don't expect as many on command because again not everything is going to be talked about yeah. and that also helps us towards the end of the year when we do like a like summer recap or something like that we'll talk about other films there but other than that uh thank you guys for closing off 2019 with us this yes. is the last podcast of 2019 Next podcast you can probably expect is going to be 1917 at least, and yeah. I, that might be it from there because I don't know if A Hidden Life is coming out near us, and I think Just Mercy is, but I don't know about A Hidden Life. Yeah, we're, we're probably not going to go out of our way to watch any movies unless we like really anticipate them. Yeah, like 1917. So, yeah. uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for a great year of listening. See you guys in 2020.